Welcome to episode eight of Informed Aging, a podcast about health, help, and hard decisions for older adults. I'm Robin Roundtree. I work for Senior Helpers, a company providing in-home care for seniors in Central Florida. In addition to working in the senior care industry, I have been a family caregiver. With me is my co-host, Edith Gendron. She's the Chief of Operations for the Alzheimer's and Dementia Resource Center. She spent about 30 years dealing with seniors and giving them a lot of care. She's a Positive Approach to Care certified trainer. Now, the thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong to us, not our wonderful employers and sponsors and guests. If you want to get mad, please get mad at us and not at them. And before making any significant changes in your person's life, please consult your own experts. Today, we're going to be talking about some of those hard decisions with Sarah Garcia. She's with Advent Health Hospice Care. She's got over 15 years' experience with senior care. She's a graduate of The Ohio State University, which I only mention because I'm a fan of their football team. Again, don't hate me for that. So we're going to be talking about hospice. Take a deep breath. It's a heavy subject, but we're going to tell you why you need to know about it, okay? We'll be back right after this message. For over 35 years, the Alzheimer's and Dementia Resource Center, ADRC, has served as a Central Florida-based grassroots nonprofit and community resource center. They're dedicated to providing support and hope for families and individuals caring for a loved one with some form of dementia. ADRC empowers caregivers with the knowledge, support, and programs to help them prepare for and cope with the challenges that lie ahead. To learn more, visit the website adrccares.org. Senior Helpers is the only home care agency offering a revolutionary new way to approach senior care, the Life Profile Assessment. This data-based app is a crucial tool in helping seniors age safely and successfully at home. Combined with our proven in-home care programs and trained caregivers, the Senior Helpers Life Profile is leading the way to better outcomes for our clients. For more information, log on to SeniorHelpers.com. We are back with Sarah Garcia. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. Well, thanks for being here. Let's first talk about, um, I know hospice is a scary subject, but let's kind of explain what it is. Sure. You're right. Hospice can be a very um, scary subject when you first hear the word, but really hospice is all about making the patient comfortable and having support during a difficult uh, period of a disease process. And it is paid for by Medicare. That is great news. (laughs) It is paid 100% by Medicare. And if somebody has Medicare, an Advantage plan, even Medicaid, it is paid for entirely through that benefit. It's also covered by private insurance and The good thing is, too, we do not turn anybody away if they have no insurance. If they meet the clinical criteria for hospice, we want to ensure that they get the care that they need. That's fantastic. I always say it's my number one thing I like about our government is that they provide payment for hospice care. So why do people get so scared talking about hospice? I think people get scared for different reasons, but... 
when hospice first started a number of years ago in the early 80s, when it became a Medicare benefit, I should say, mm-hmm. um, people came on to hospice literally in the last few days of life. And hospice was wonderful in providing pain management and care for those last few days. However, it's really evolved. And you no longer have to wait for those last few days of life to get that benefit. It's available so much sooner. But people still have that older mentality that when I hear hospice or the doctor or somebody says I need to be on hospice, that that means I only have a few days left. And that can be a very scary feeling. And we all have our fear of death. Absolutely. Um, But we do have to realize that it is coming. And I always think of hospice like if you're going to have to die, let's make it a soft landing. You know, nobody wants to be in the hospital, people pounding on them. Well, maybe somebody does, but I don't. (laughs) No, no. We only get to die once. Let's get it right the first time. Yeah, let's do it peacefully as possible. Planning in forethought. Yes, yes. So how do you get on hospice? So you can get on hospice in a number of different ways. The easiest way is picking up the phone and calling a hospice agency. You do not need a physician's referral. You can pick up the phone and speak directly to hospice and schedule that appointment. If we have your physician's records and they make the referral, that process does make it easier on the hospice because they can review records and determine if you meet eligibility or not. So basically what happens is once you reach out to hospice, they will set up an appointment with you. Typically they're going to come to your home or wherever wherever it is you decide to meet, and they will do a full assessment to see if you actually meet the clinical criteria for hospice. If you do meet that criteria, then the choice is yours whether you want to elect to go on that benefit or not. And let's say you aren't eligible right then. Can that person tell you what things to look for to know when you will be? Absolutely. So Medicare has different eligibility guidelines depending on what diagnosis a person has. So today, you may not qualify for hospice under Alzheimer's, but perhaps you will one day. But a lot of times people don't just have one disease. Mm -hmm. They have multiple diagnoses happening. So it might be that when you were first evaluated for hospice, we were looking at perhaps Alzheimer's. But as time goes on, maybe you have a heart condition, and that disease actually progresses faster than the Alzheimer's. So what we encourage people to do is if we do meet with you and you don't qualify for hospice on that first meeting, if there's any decline in the future, pick up the phone, give us a call, and we'll have a nurse come out, review everything to see if there's anything that would qualify you for hospice at that point. And no charge, no foul if you come out, do the assessment, and you decide, well, first of all, you don't qualify, you don't get charged. And if you decide not to go on hospice at that time, there's still no charge. Correct. There's no charge. don't get a ding against you. There's no charge for an evaluation. So let's also talk about not only what you offer to the patient on hospice, but to the family. I'm glad you brought that up because I'll, I'll tell you a little personal story. When I decided to join hospice, I was telling a friend of mine, 
my career change. And she shared with me that her mother had passed away while she was in college. And she said she got hospice for her mother. And she said it was the first time in this entire disease process, very lengthy disease process of caring for her mom, that somebody actually asked her as the caregiver, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And they were just as concerned about her well-being as they were about her mother's well-being. And I love that hospice not only cares for the patient, but it cares for the family. So we are looking to not only support the patient through the disease process, but also also help that family through everything as well. In addition to the support that we offer while the patient is alive, we also offer bereavement for the family. Oftentimes, um, that bereavement is for about 13 months, but sometimes goes longer if they need it. And the reason why we do it for 13 months is that that first year after a patient passes away can be one of the most challenging years. Mm-hmm. It's the first Christmas or Hanukkah or other holiday without their loved one. It's the first birthday, anniversary, any big celebration that your loved one was always there. Maybe they were the center of that holiday and now you're without them can be the toughest year. And so all of those first, we want to be alongside with them and provide that support. And I I think that's incredible. Like grief is such a tough journey and you usually get an outpouring of support in the first two weeks. I would say the casseroles are coming in, neighbors are saying, can I do anything? But then everybody gets back to their own lives. And here you are dealing with this boulder on your back, trying to live a normal life. But to have support for 13 months is incredible. You don't have to take part of it. It's not like they're going to come to your door and say, let's go to this meeting. But it is there and it really can help. Most definitely. So I know we've talked about it's a scary subject, but what reasons do you know that people are like, no, I'm not calling hospice? I know with regard to working with the brain bank, um, we have had just a very few people, families refuse hospice. Um, Just as an aside, I can't say I insist because that's not allowed, but Mm -hmm. we um, are are huge proponents of having hospice in place across the board, but particularly if your person is going to be home and leave you at home because dealing with the police in that situation is not something you want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have one family tell me they can't do anything I can't do. And so then we talked about what that really meant. And like Sarah's already pointed out, um, that's fine for the caregiver to say, I've got my person, I'm taking care of them, but who's caring for the caregiver? Right. Um, And, you know, we do lose our caregivers usually 50% of the time before we lose the person they're caring for. So that, um, and it keeps coming back to me anyway, the people that I work with, it means I'm giving up. It means you think I'm going to die tomorrow, like Sarah's already explained. So I think it's important for people to realize that hospice is a help. People often rally. They often see an improvement in their condition because they're getting the help they need and, of course, that all-important pain management, regardless of what sort of illness you're living with. Pain management is a huge factor. Yeah. 
And Edith, you bring up an important point is that sometimes people come on hospice and they actually improve and they improve so much that we have to discharge them off services. And that's a wonderful thing when we see that happen. And a hospice isn't a jail sentence. If the person is on it and decides this isn't working, they can also say, no, this isn't for me. Absolutely. So they have the right to revoke services at any time. That's nice to know. Because, you know, the family who's having a hard time dealing with the possibility of their person dying, you know, you say, okay, let's let's try it. And you can always say no. And if we get that miracle that you're praying for, then we're just going to pack up and go. Right. Right. And I think it gives some comfort to patients and families to know, let's try it. Let's try it for a couple weeks. And typically when they try it for a few weeks and they have all the different team members coming in who are providing all that extra care and assistance, you know, after about a week or so, mm-hmm. n- nobody wants to give it up. Um, <laughs> we have, I don't, I don't know that I've really seen anybody revoke for those reasons. Right. But it's nice to have that option when you're, when you're going into something scary. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we've talked about, you know, the emotional support, the pain management, um, also religious services are included. So a priest can come if you're Catholic, correct? So our whole we, hospice has an interdisciplinary team. That's, that's how hospice set up, is set up. And the patient and family are really at the center of that team. And that's really important because a lot of times through a lengthy disease process, That patient is being shuffled from one appointment to another, one surgery after another, a follow-up after follow-up, and that by itself can be exhausting. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of um, rules or do this, don't do this, and they're, they're following directions. When they come to hospice, they get control of their life back where they're really directing the care. Yes, there are certain things that we have to do because of Medicare guidelines, but they are really in charge of their care plan, and the entire team is focused on them, and our team does absolutely consist of the spiritual component. We have a chaplain, and that chaplain can help engage clergy in the community, but if somebody is not of a particular faith, the faith is not forced on anyone. Um, that chaplain may just spend time connecting with that patient and um, being a support. We're really there to walk along that journey with that patient and help ease their pain and suffering. Which is great. Let's also switch gears and talk about the financial benefits. I've gone into homes where they were reluctant to start hospice And then they were like, what do we need? And I'm like, okay, well, you need a hospital bed. You need a bedside commode. You need a shower chair. They had none of this. I said, you can, you know, get the prescription from your doctor and maybe two weeks from now you're going to have that or you pay out of pocket or you call hospice and you're going to have it within 24 to 48 hours. At no charge to you. At no charge. It's products, right, for for skin care and adult briefs and wheelchairs. and It's amazing. Oxygen. Yeah. All those things that can can pauper a family. Right. And it's all equipment that's going to help you and make you feel better. Yeah. 
Yes, and I think that's kind of that's a piece of hospice that gets overlooked in the whole the whole scheme of things. And you're absolutely right that when we go in to evaluate somebody for hospice and they decide to take advantage of that service, is then the nurse is going to look at okay, what equipment do you need to keep you comfortable? Maybe they've been struggling to get in and out of bed, or they have a wheelchair that doesn't really fit them very well. Or as you mentioned, maybe they need a bedside commode or different equipment. Those things are covered under the hospice benefit at no charge to the family. So when that nurse does the assessment and they say, look, I think things could be easier for you, what do you think? And that patient family says, yes, absolutely. We go ahead and get that ordered. It's delivered wherever that patient is living. So whether it's in the home setting or in an assisted living, we bring that equipment there. And, you know, let's say one day it's no longer serving its purpose and you want it out or you need something, the needs have changed. We swap it out for whatever is needed at that moment. Right. And if you've ever dealt with incontinence, you know that the adult briefs are not cheap and hospice pays for those. Yes. And some medications. Mm-hmm. Hospice will pay for medications related to the reason why you're on hospice. And they also cover the pain medications as well to keep you comfortable. So I wouldn't suggest going on hospice just to save money, but it definitely <laughs> is an additional benefit. Uh, my mother was a, a, a long stretch. I don't know if she's trying to break a record, but she was on for two years. And the money that we saved there, we could put into the quality of life, bringing in the massage therapist, you know, flying in a family member. So that's one way to think about it. It's just one more benefit. Yes, Absolutely, that bringing in what the family couldn't otherwise provide, um, even though they might not even have those extra funds, right, to do what you right. did. But it increases the quality of life and therefore the sense of well-being that, right, Dr. Atulapuande yes. teaches us about. So it's so much more than just caring for someone. You know, we live, and the focus should be on living, until we're gone, until right. we die. Right. right. And hospice helps us do that. I know that's hard for some people to kind of get it around in their head, but that really is the point of hospice. One other thing I wanted to mention is, yes, you can revoke, you can come off of hospice, but you can also change hospices, right? If you're with yes. a hospice and yeah, for whatever reason, you can change and go with a different hospice. So you're not um, ever signing away your rights to make good decisions. Absolutely. And I do love that you are in control because if you've come to that point in your life, you're making that decision, doctors and nurses and many other people have been telling you what to do for a long time. So it's great that you can regain the reins of your own life and say, okay, I don't have years and decades left. How do I want to spend my time that I have left? And you get to make some decisions about that. And some of those decisions are small, right? So I remember visiting with a patient one time, and he had just signed on for hospice. I don't remember what condition he had, but the doctor had limited, had told him, don't drink orange juice anymore. This gentleman had been a citrus farmer. Orange juice, that was his routine. Every single morning, he had orange juice. And whatever condition he had developed, the doctor had told him, no more orange juice. Go in with the hospice nurse 
the nurse is taking all of the notes about who he is as a person, as well as his medical condition. And we happen to find out his background about being a citrus farmer and how he had always had this glass of orange juice and how he missed it. And the nurse said, you want that glass of orange juice? You can have it. It's okay. You can have it. So at that point, you know, with hospice, we're really looking at what's going to give you quality of life. You may not have a whole lot of time left. It may be measured more in months rather than years. But whatever time is left, let's make it the best it can be and do the things that you maybe you haven't been able to do or you were limited in doing. It's okay to do most of those things now. That's awesome. I love that. Getting some chills over here. (laughs) That is fantastic. So once again, hospice is paid for by Medicare, even if you don't have insurance. You can just meet with someone, see if you qualify. If you don't, that's okay. Find out when you will qualify. It's not coming out of pocket, and there are so many benefits to it. So again, if if it's becoming clear that your loved one, there doesn't seem to be anything left to do to improve their health and keep them living for decades, then start to think about this. Is there anything I'm leaving out? I think you did a great job covering it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming in and, and giving us the calming talk about hospice. Yes, we are talking about death, but also making the best of your life before you transition into something else. Being until you're gone. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So make sure uh, that you contact, if you want to contact Advent Health Hospice Care to talk to them, what's the best way to get hold of you? So we have a couple different ways. You can visit our website, and that website is planforhospice.com. Or you can also call our referrals department, And that number is 407-682-9090. And what part of Florida do you service? We are Central Florida. We're in Orange, Osceola, and Seminole counties. We have a sister program in Volusia and Flagler County as well. Okay, wonderful. And uh, I love the website Plan for Hospice because this is also... Another thing you need to talk over when you're making the big plans for your life. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm sorry. As you're talking, I'm thinking, oh, we didn't mention five wishes. Oh, and yes. that's another, I think, very important document that you get by being affiliated with a hospice. And you don't even have to. I should correct that. Hospice has that document, and they will give it to you at re- upon request. And it's a, if you don't know what it is, please learn what it is, because everyone, regardless of health, should have a five wishes document. And, you know, I had a, a surgery recently. Everything went fine, but it was just that tiny, tiny chance that I was not going to make it. And, of course, that didn't happen, but I went through it and went, this is fantastic. Like, it's saying what really matters to you in the end. And your loved ones don't have to guess, you know. So I put my request in for red wine and chocolate ice cream. There you go. <laughs> so. And it is, it is a legally binding document. Yes. So it's, it's good to know. It's, it's a great document, as you've mentioned, but it's something that can speak for you when you can't speak for yourself. And if you're ever worried about being in that situation of somebody else making a decision for you, this is a great way to be able to show people exactly what you want or what you don't want. Right. 
And if the doctor, which I imagine doesn't happen much, but if he or she is trying to get you to do something else with your loved one, you said, no, it's here in black and white. This this is the wishes of my person. Yes. All right. Give me that website one more time. That website is planforhospice.com. All right. So talk with the loved ones about if you want hospice care, if you want it sooner rather than later. Do the five wishes, and then you'll have a better plan. Thank you so much again, Sarah, for being on the podcast. And make sure you subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to, Informed Aging. Tell your family and friends. If you want to find us on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash informed aging. Instagram and Twitter, informed underscore aging. And then if you want to do email, you can do that. Informed aging podcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was recorded at Digital Broadcasting's podcast studio in Longwood, Florida. That's it for now. We're looking forward to our next visit. <laughs>